we conclude our Memorial Day service this morning, let's take our Bibles, if you have access to the Scriptures, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. My parents always made Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and the 4th of July big days for our family. They always were intent on taking us places throughout the eastern United States where the spiritual freedoms of our country were forged. By visiting those places and often hearing my parents pray for the souls of our country, I learned from them to love my country, to honor those who had given their lives for our freedom. Today I'd also like to remember a few other folks who tragically lost their lives this week in Uvalde, Texas. They all acted heroically. Several in specific were murdered while trying to save their young classmates. I'd like to take a moment of silence this morning before we continue on and pray for these hurting families. While you pray, will you ask the Lord to allow his gospel saving grace that brings peace to the soul to be wonderfully introduced or reintroduced to this community that people might know true peace from him during their time of mourning take a moment just of silence to pray for these families at this time Father in heaven, we pray those that know the light of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Uvalde, Texas, would shine lovingly and brightly among those who are mourning at this time in that community. I pray for gospel preaching churches throughout that region in Texas. would compassionately minister to those who are hurting, not just now, Lord, to make it a lifetime of compassionate effort until all might see the loving, saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to save gospel preaching churches throughout our country that are it's peppered with various kinds of schools where innocent children learn would take notice of why this is happening and seek to be the spiritual change necessary to its prevention in the future Help us, Lord, today as we remember these families and these children and these teachers 
to also remember our opportunity to live the light of the gospel in our own towns, communities. So that all might hear and all might see that Jesus is powerful to save every sinner. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to take this today, not just to remember these innocent lives, but also consider God's word as to why these senseless killings happen. The conclusion of this morning's message, I'd like to offer some spiritual and practical things we can do as God's children to prevent these slayings from happening in the future. I'd like to talk about love a bit this morning. By briefly examining, examining biblical love, we can then understand what love is not and discern what we can do to pray and to act in love to prevent these tragedies. There are four main words for love in New Testament times. Two are used in the Bible and two are not. The two that are used in the Bible that are often used you're very familiar with. The first is philos. It just means friendship love. It's defined as the love between friends, a strong bond between people who share common values, interests, or activities. C.S. Lewis says that this love, actually, is the least biological, organic, or instinctive gregarious it's the least of the natural loves he says that's why often in the bible we're commanded to love with brotherly kindness we need to pursue by god's grace friendship love the most popular word that most of you are familiar with in the bible for love is agape this is the love most associated with god himself this is his love. It's defined as the love that serves regardless of changing circumstances. It's described as unconditional love. It's often described as the greatest of loves. It doesn't so much refer to the love rooted in attraction as of moral goodwill. It's not a cold religious love but it is truly altruistic. This is loving someone that you know you'll get nothing back from them after you love them. It's the love that God has for us. You remember 1 John 4. We love him because he first, what? Chose to love the unlovely. That's you and me. God loved and he knew that he might not get it reciprocated. But God's love just loves. The love of Jesus Christ is really a one-way street. It just loves. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too love them and show myself to them. If you say that you know the love of Jesus Christ and you've been saved, 
turned from your wicked ways by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are taught of God how to love. And we love everybody regardless whether it's reciprocated or not. Those are the two loves mentioned in the Bible, but let's consider two others that were known in the first century, Koine Greek, which is really common Greek or common language at that time. And let's find out why they're not mentioned in the Bible. One of those words is storge. It's a natural affection between kinfolk. One author said it's a natural affection for those brought together in a common bond and a family. It's the, it's the love of home. Husband for wife, wife for husband, parents to children, children to parents. It wasn't even frequently used in the first century as a word for love. We're going to find out why. The other word for love in the first century that's not found in the New Testament is the Greek word eros. This is a word used for marital intimacy or commonly known as the act of marriage. It was rarely even used in the first century, in common conversation, in the marketplace, or even in homes, just like the word storge, love for family, was not used very often. There's a, there's a reason why these were not used, though they were known in their cultures, just like why these two words are never used in the Bible. You see, eros and storge were... were loves that were just natural. They were instinctual loves, if you will. Loves that were granted to us to do because every person's created in the image of God. And it's just natural to want to love and be loved in your family and it's natural in the bonds of biblical marriage to be physically intimate. The Lord gave each one of us an appetite for intimacy. And it's pretty strong in all of us. It's like the love for eating food. We don't have to be told to eat we typically have to be told to curb and control our appetite. That's why we diet, right? That's why we exercise. It's just natural. You're hungry, you eat. We had all of our kids home during COVID. Obviously, the two that are married weren't back then. The first time we went to uh, Sam's Club, having not had them all home for an extended period of time before, and my wife was going around filling up the shopping cart, uh, and then I was asked to go get another cart. 
and then I was asked to go get a pull cart so I could push one and pull one at the same time. The food kept piling up because I had three sons who were at six to 7,000 calories a day. My daughter may not have been far behind, I don't know. But she was also in athletic training, and they didn't want to lose a beat. I didn't have to tell my kids to eat. I knew they were going to get hungry, and I wanted food everywhere in the house, so if they were hungry, they could just what? If you're hungry, it's your fault. Go get food. Just want to eat. I've told all of you that I was first married when I was five years old. My seven-year-old brother officiated the ceremony in the basement of one of our best friend's homes. Even at five years old, when my brother said, kiss the bride, that part was fun. It wasn't spooky or icky to me back then. (laughs) That marriage lasted for three years until her parents moved her away to southern Ohio. Storge love was natural for me. The love for boy for girl and girl for boy. It's just instinctual. It's what God's created us with. Storge love was love for a spouse and love for the child, as we've already said, and child for the parent. Even in pagan cultures, it was considered perfunctory to love your spouse and to love your kid. You didn't have to talk about it. You just naturally practiced this domestic love. It was instinctual. We all love to see couples post anniversary pictures. We all love to see new baby pics on Facebook and social media platforms. We all love to see the simple ways that people love their family members. We love to see little siblings hugging other little siblings and welcoming newborns home from the hospital. We love to see birthday celebrations of our family members on social media. The same goes with Christmas pictures, those dinners, those matching pajamas, the expression of a kid's face when they get that dream present at Christmas time. They're all priceless pictures. Oh, and those engagement and wedding pictures, those family vacation pics. Some of you posted some of the most amazing photos of your families at some really fun places that you've been to recently. My daughter-in-law is getting ready to attend Queen Elizabeth's 70th Jubilee in London in the next few days. I'm so excited for her. What an amazing, historic, majestic opportunity she has. Truly, once in a lifetime. It's natural for family to enjoy these things with family. It's natural for us to enjoy watching others love their families. We don't have to think about it. We just do it. The Bible didn't have to exhort us to love in those two ways. Why? Because God knew we just would. You see, we have to be encouraged to love like God loves and to love his friends. Those aren't as natural. God's grace enables us to love with agape and philos love, friendship love, selfless and friendship love. As we remain spirit-filled, God's grace as his children helps us for sure, but if we're struggling in our walk, we need God's word to give us a command or two to love in these ways. Like husbands, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. That's a command. 
We're never told, guys, you need to eat or guys, you need to be intimate. You're never told that in the Bible. You just do it. But we're told, love your wives because we need to be told that and love them the same way Christ loved the church. Sometimes we really do really well at loving each other like the Thessalonians did in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11 where Paul said, I don't even need to teach you about love because you're taught of God how to love. Only what? You better keep increasing more and more. You just don't have to tell someone to love natural appetites or to love family. We just do. But what happens to a society when love that is natural becomes unnatural? Or an alternative way to love is pursued. When the natural appetites for intimacy between a man and a woman in the context of marriage are altered and changed into that which is unnatural, what does that do to affect the completely normal way in which God has created mankind to live and to love? What happens to children's souls when their God-given craving to be loved by family is altered and sometimes never realized? Romans 1 discusses the downhill progression. Men become unthankful, ungodly, souls who despise God and take that which he's created as normal and natural and declared it to be unnatural. But that's just one kind of love that's not mentioned in the Bible that can be altered and cause intense emotional and physical difficulty for anyone that chooses to love unnaturally. What of that other love, that natural family love that is not mentioned in the Bible? Well, its root form is not mentioned in the Bible, but its opposite is. We mentioned earlier there's only two times when the root of family domestic love is mentioned in the scriptures, not the exact word, but its opposite is. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is one of those places. Let's read that together, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and there it is, unloving. It goes on to say irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And we're asked to avoid such men. There's a lot of these words that describe our time pretty clearly, is it, don't they? But the one we'll focus on this morning is the opposite of storge love, and it's actually astorge, without natural affection for family. Again, what happens to the psyche of a child when they've never seen natural, instinctual family love that God has created them to see experience and enjoy what happens to the condition of any soul when they've not had the privilege of growing up in an environment where natural love was just that easy and natural what happens to the soul of a boy who's created by god to enjoy the love and nurture of a father in the context of a home and he's never had a father around and doesn't even know his father 
What if we add to that child's difficult experience a mom who's a drug addict or an alcoholic and there's no responsible grandparent or family member nearby to even love them or show them the natural love for which their soul screams to have? How does a child, boy or girl, even begin to process the world around them if everything around them is unnatural? Let's add to the young person's unnatural domestic situation many other friends who also are not experienced environments of natural love. Add to these hurting kids' lives, education, movies, games, and social media platforms and general media that also saturate their environments with unnatural indoctrination and grooming principles. Remember, God's created every kid. He created all of us with the same natural desires in relationship to our appetites and our domestic realities, the realities in our home. But some kids never, ever see anything natural that they themselves create. Dr. Wolf, a former consultant, child psychologist, and Alexander McCall Smith, a professional of medical law, write these observations of kids who grew up in unnatural infection environments who are all groomed to kill. While the acts, and this is I quote, while the acts and features of children who kill are heterogeneous, all these children are seriously disturbed, disturbed with high rates of neuropsychological abnormalities, poor impulse control, school failure, and truancy. All have experienced severe family adversities, domestic violence, neglect, child abuse, substance misuse, maternal depression, and absence of fathers, end quote. They go on to quote, because homicide by children is so rare, population approaches to prevention are not even realistic, end quote. A national newspaper article title caught my eye recently, written by a psychologist. The article describes certain kids that have grown up in what the Bible would call unnatural affection environments. The title is, Our Nation's Number One Public Health Crisis, The Angry Young American Male. They are young men described as, I quote, chronic maladies rather than what he is. They are a cancer that needs to be cut out and cured, end quote. A recent mass shooter's environment was described as, quote, holding up in his locked bedroom three months prior, windows blacked out with garbage bags, enthusiastically writing to a pro-mass murder online community, a history of openly fantasizing about killing children, end quote. We wonder how people don't see these warning signs. Well, folks, we're enjoying living natural lives and natural affection. Day in and day out. We're not trained to look for these things. It's not instinctual for us to look for these things. They're unnatural. But we live in a day where we're all going to have to keep our loving eyes up and discerning. This particular article goes on to say, quote, we are all at risk of losing our own children in such a brutal, senseless, and preventable way, no matter how insulated we think we are, but we should also be afraid of our own refusal to see these young men far too many of them in crisis in our schools our workplaces and in our own homes end quote 
Psychology Today article describes these young men as people who just want payback and revenge. They have a desire for prowess and malice. They're characterized by chronic deception, callousness, cruelty, manipulation, grandiosity, and impulsivity. With more media attention to these young psychopaths, they feel clever and even heroic when they kill. People of personal dislike and people of disposal they are. I don't like you, I'll just get rid of you. They're people of greed and personal gain. They convince themselves, though these tragedies often end up with a loss of life to ruin the vi- uh, loss of life or ruin of the violent aggressor, that they will vault themselves into a place of high status and position in the world, very similar to the delusional thinking of foreign terrorists that blow up innocent people around the world, including our 9-11. They're people of delusional emulation because they come from unnatural environment backgrounds. The young people have a hard time processing reality, so they create their own delusional realities. Often they can see something dark and violent on TV or in the movies or in video games and seek to reenact their own version of what they viewed. They've never known or become familiar with natural affection in their domestic reality. So they just do what's unnatural. If you're old enough, you remember the Columbine High School shooting. It's hard to believe that that was 23 years ago. There were 12 students and a teacher that lost their lives that day. Two angry young American males, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, murders those folks that day and then they took their own lives assuring themselves there was something more grand for them after they breathed their last that was 23 years ago folks all the articles i've read from this morning were all written long after that shooting why because there's been more there's been sandy hook there's been parkland and now uvalde Of all the mass shootings since Columbine, two-thirds were enacted by shooters under the age of 18 with the median age being 16. A study done from 1976 to 2018 that found that 26% of mass shooters were under the age of 25. Including Columbine, 169 souls have now been lost in our schools. How and when will it end? Well, on this Memorial Day, we're appropriately remembering those lives that were given for our national freedom. So let's remember the innocent lives that were unnecessarily and tragically taken from their families and our communities. And as believers in Christ, there's something else we must do. There's a famous saying out there that all of you probably know, and it says this, and I quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, end quote. Here's some theological things I want you to consider. Matters of action, and draw the circle around yourselves as we live our natural affection in our communities as saved people. You need to regularly pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 
And 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. You need to make it a priority to pray those texts. Prayer brings safety. It says it in those texts. If we're not safe or feeling safe, it could be because of Christians' prayerlessness. Pray. Pray. Number two, you must love. And love is not love, Jesus says, until it's love indeed. You've got to do something. You've got to act. How do we do this? Love without action is not love. You need to pray about being an influence on a soul that's being reared in places of unnatural affection. You need to pray that God would allow you and the natural love in your family to find a kid who's being reared in an environment of unnatural affection and beg God to give you a redemptive relationship in that kid's life so they might see love for the first time in their life. That's you following the great commission of Matthew 28. You go into all the world and make disciples. That includes kids who are haters and killers who have never learned love. Find them. Be Christ to them. And don't be surprised when they show up and they see love from you. They think it's a bit odd. And they think you're nuts because they've never seen it. But they've always craved it because that's how God created them. God's saving grace can restore a soul that was reared in an environment of unnatural affection. Only God's saving grace can stop the killing. As the love of Jesus Christ is introduced to these kids' minds and hearts and existence, and as they learn his love, and then watch how God has taken natural love is lived out in your home. God can change that kid. I think the church has been too long removed from our community in unnecessary ways. We can pray. We can reach. And so doing, we can love. But you've got to go. You've got to go and make disciples. If you pray, God will bring them to you. It's his will. Maybe we're the answer. Maybe the answer isn't an armed guard at every door, although that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Maybe the answer isn't that which politicians quickly run to try to do to stop these things. Maybe the tip of the spear of the answer is our prayer and our love with hands and feet, our action. 
I think of what the Stenoians have just been able to do. Practical hands and feet with these two little kids. I think of what Scott and his family have been able to do. Showing natural affection to kids who may have never seen it apart from them. And then seeing these kids come to know Jesus. What'd they do? They prayed. They had a burden. They put hands and feet to it. You don't even have to foster to adopt or even adopt. There's kids in your neighborhood. There's kids at your local parks. There's kids everywhere that desperately need the hands and feet of Christ. Now think about this. What if each person in here reached one kid? We're not talking about you taking the whole burden of the whole world on your shoulders. You reach one kid being reared in an unnatural environment. Love them. That's making a difference. There's some theological conclusions and a couple practical and we'll finish this morning. In your own homes, if your marriage is struggling and you're living out unnatural love and you call yourself a Christian, you should consider whether you're a professing Christian or a confessing Christian. Because remember, it's natural for an unsaved person to instinctually love their family. That's why it's not mentioned in the Bible. We're not told to storge love our family. Never told. Don't have to. And you say you're a saved person and you can't love that way. I would encourage you to stop calling yourself a Christian. Because with saving grace on top of common grace and you won't love, you need to be born again. I'm just going to say it. You need to be born again. If you're certain you're born again and you're struggling still with domestic love, you need to get help from your pastors, from your disciples. You need to watch they how they love in their homes, and then you need to model your life after the way they're living. This is not rocket science, folks. Paul said, follow me if I'm following Christ. He said, I don't want to love like they love it. Hey, look, they're loving each other, and you're not. Make a choice. For those of you who are guests, I typically don't get this worked up. But I, like you, have been asking the same questions. I've been fearful just like you've been fearful. I've been wondering what's going on, so I just prayed, dove into Scripture, and this is what God laid on my heart. Amen. Okay? We've got to do something. Not in the way the social, political world does it, but in a spiritual way. And I've given plenty of texts to tell us how to do that, okay? Always know, number two, there's a kid, if not in your home, outside your home watching the way you love in your home there's always someone watching they could see you at a glance in a grocery store with your spouse exercising at a, at a gym walking in a park there's always a kid 
in our world. Just south of 69% of the marriages in Mentor, Ohio are now over. First marriages are now over. 85% of second marriages and 100% of third marriages are over in our county. 100%. And if they're not over, they will be. That's from a local judge in our county to me. I don't, it's not my statistic. How many kids are living in unnatural affection environments based on those statistics? You might be the only person they ever see that's living natural affection only in a Christ-like way. Let's be that. Let's be that. And remember always someone's watching. And would you pray? Would you pray with me? That God would lead your pastor and his family to more children who have not been eyewitnesses of natural affection. And I will pray for you. Unsaved man have, has provided numerous ways for uh, begging us to be in contact with these kids for at least one visit, if not many more and not many kinds of relation. I'm telling you, you don't even have to, you don't even have to get involved with what the county is begging you to do. I'm telling you, they're on your street. They're where you walk. They're where you shop. Just beg God for an opportunity to influence these kids. Because Christ loves them. And he would love to use us to influence them. He said, I don't want them influencing my kids in an adverse way. Then have those kids into your space so you can control the environment. They need to see normal, loving relationships anyway. I remember we used to have our kids' teams from their local high school, our local high school over to our house for cookouts, team cookouts and stuff. And Ron and I are bustling around. We're doing all this kind of stuff. I might brush by her in the kitchen and give her a big, a big smooch, you know. They might see me holding her hand when we're standing there talking to a bunch of kids. And I can remember one guy and one girl, as they were leaving, got me aside. And they said, that was really weird to me when I saw you kiss your wife. And then you, hold, you held her hand. And the one girl goes, why? <laughs> like, ew, like, like, why? Like, why? Folks, I smiled, right? Gave her a half hug and I said, sweetheart, someday you come on back and we'll explain why. And you're always welcome in our home. Right? They've never seen it. They don't know. We can't stop all of it. We can't control what we can't control, but we can control what we can't control. Pray. You find somebody. You be Christ's hands and feet to them. Okay? All right. A little bit different message. I know it wasn't on Job. I told my son, he said last night, Dad, you preaching on Job tomorrow. And I said, no. He goes, Dad! 
I love Job. It's like, well, God's laid something else on my heart just for this week for all kinds of, I think, hopefully understandable reasons. Our service went a lot longer than normal today, but we did have a lot of preliminaries that we normally don't have. Um, but someone said in Sunday school this morning, I told them, I'm afraid the service might be a little bit longer. And she said, Pastor Tim, we're never upset when a sports game goes into overtime. Amen. And I said, well, we might have double overtime this morning. <laughs> but here we are. We're only 15 minutes past our normal time. Thank you for your patience. And God bless you as you remember uh, this weekend. All right. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to look into the perfect law of liberty, not just be faithful hearers, but doers. Lord, lead us to these hurting kids and lead them to us. Provide for us in your supernatural way, a way for us to show them natural affection, your love gifted to every man that's just simply extinctual, instinctual. Lord, help us to rescue the perishing who have been reared in unnatural affection. Each of us, in Christ's name, amen. I think what we'll do, let's all stand. Let's all stand. And we're going to let the song of your fellowship be our closing song this morning. So Ben, I beg your pardon. Jacob, you play. And, uh, and let's just be dismissed and find someone that needs encouragement, all right? Or rejoice with someone that needs to have someone rejoice with them. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. You're dismissed.